0: hello and welcome to episode 345 of constructing comics a podcast building stories one page and one panel at a time on this episode we have an interview with dennis robinson comics creator and writer of lycan with chapter 3 coming to kickstarter in march of 2023 this is matt and i'm joined by constructing comics co-host noah hey there Dennis, we're super happy to have you back on. Uh, for anybody who hasn't listened to your past uh, appearances on the podcast, can you lead us off with a brief intro about yourself and a little bit about this book that's coming to Kickstarter?
1: Sure. Well, first off, thanks so much for having me again. Uh, most people probably don't know this, but you and I met at uh, what was that convention that we met at? I remember we got Indian food. Maryland, <laughs> oh, was, um, Maryland, um, Papan Papan Maryland con that that failed abomination. That, What's Legendary show. show. <laughs> but uh I met you guys, and we became fast friends, Shannon too, and um you guys were nice enough to have me on the, the last time I did the Kickstarter, which was back in 2022, I think, towards the end of that year. So, um yeah, so I write a graphic uh, novel series called Lycan like Solomon's Odyssey, and the third book comes out on Kickstarter, and the easiest way I describe that one is that it's like HP Lovecraft meets Gilgamesh. So the Lycan series is the story of the world's first werewolf. So it's like a little bit of horror, a little mythology, a little venture, a little history. And then each book is the same character but he goes through different time periods and different uh, deals with different mythological creatures and gods and deities and like all this different stuff. So that's sort of how each book in the the series rolls along. So yeah, the third one is a uh, set in kind of sumerian times uh and revolves around gilgamesh
2: that's exciting yeah, yeah so the the first book is um very text heavy and not in a bad way like it's very much like setting up the world what i liked about issue two was there's a lot of action in it and a lot more horror like in gory imagery yeah. and things like that than issue one yeah. Does that kind of continue into issue three? Like, is it just sort of become almost like a straight horror slash gore fest?
1: No. So issue three is a slow burn. Uh, it's okay. 30% longer than either of the other two books. So it's 90 pages of story with six pages of extras. Um, and so the first two thirds is pretty much setting up this, this premise with these gods and all this stuff and like slowly setting up that there's something more nefarious going on. And then the last third is just carnage. <laughs> it's a lot of, like really messed up carnage <laughs> and it gets real dark. Um, I remember when my editor was reading through the script, I always get a kick because obviously I know what's going to happen because I wrote it, but she doesn't know what's going to happen. So she puts little notes. And so like the first one was like, all right, like, I see what you're doing here. You're not going to, you're, you're, you're only going to kill this one. Right. I'm like, scroll, scroll, scroll. All right, okay, Dennis, like, but like you're not gonna kill you not gonna kill like this many people, are right? you? Like, scroll, scroll, scroll. Oh my god, Dennis, really, you're gonna do this? Scroll, scroll, scroll. I hate you. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and then after she got done editing or reading through it the first time, she said, uh, I hate it, I hate you, and I love it all at the same time.
2: <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that's cool. In this and you worked with this editor since issue one. The editor is um uh yeah. Well, on, is it the same editor as issue one and two?
1: No. Well, sort of. So I had an editor uh, who was the art and writing editor on the first book, which you guys know, Henri Kumpen. Um mm-hmm. And at that time in the first book, originally book one was actually supposed to be two separate books. But because of COVID, it delayed everything except for the production. So then by the time we got around to having the Kickstarter, both halves were done. So I figured, well, screw it. may as well just put the books back together so he edited the entirety of the first half of the first book and then he was responsible for like half of the editing of the second half of the first book and that's when i brought in the other editor uh stephanie krugnola yeah i know through podcasting and then she was entirely entirely the editor in terms of writing for the second book and then the third book and she's editing the fourth book right now too
2: that's awesome yeah and I think I can definitely feel like a there's like the, the pacing is, is like uh, is is much more brisk and issue too and like it seems like it's it's more tight do you feel did you feel that when you brought in Stephanie as an editor like you just sort of felt like maybe things were like condensed but not to the point where you lost like a lot of the like the world like the deep world, world building and lore and everything like that
1: Yeah, I would definitely say to an extent, because I remember specifically with the second book, um, when Steph was editing it, (laughs) she had one note, one major note, and there's always a bunch of little stuff, but there was one major note that said, less mope, more witch, or more witches. (laughs) Uh So I was like, okay, can you be more specific, like, how much less mope in terms of pages? She goes, cut two pages of mope, give me two pages of witches. I said, okay. And so then I went uh, no. back and looked through and I was like, all right, we'll chop off some mope here and we'll chop up, chop off some mope here and then we'll add a witchy part here and here and here. Um, and so, yeah. So as far as the pacing goes, she's really good at, at making sure that I, I kind of stay on target for that. But she doesn't really, uh, at least with the second and the third books so far, she hasn't really had to mess with the pacing. I think I've I've also just gotten a little better with that. Um, Because with the first book, that was a whole slew of things that went wonky with that, where you know it was, it was originally like sixty pages, and then we wrote like a twenty-four page script for the first half, and then the twenty-four turned into twenty-six, and then twenty-eight, and then up to thirty, and then so like it constantly shifted around and changed, and had things cut and added to it. So some of the transitions aren't as clean as if I had done that book today. I would just do it all like as a sick, like however long of a book it needs to be and not worry mm-hmm. about the page length. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would be a little different if I redid that book now, it probably wouldn't be as text heavy either. Um, Cause this, I don't think the second book's quite as text heavy. And then the third book is also, I don't think quite as text heavy. It's just now I'm operating in the space of like, okay, these books are just going to be as long as I want them to be. So I don't need to like cram as much stuff on each and every panel. Um, as I did in that first book. Because, again, originally it was 24 pages, but it was too many panels, it was too many captions, and then it was like, okay, keep adding, you know, a page here, a page there, that sort of a thing.
0: Gotcha. And has the, uh, the art team uh, stayed consistent, or has there been uh, juggling parts as you go into Chapter 3?
1: No, so the art team, the, the main artist is still Sal Diner, um, out of Spain, my colorist is still Ezekiel Dominguez He's out of Argentina, and then Joel Saavedra is still the letter out of Argentina. The cover artists, um, the main cover artist has been the same through each of the books, Christian Dabari. He already did the cover for the the third book. If you go to the Kickstarter sign-up page, it's sort of like a little bit of a um, preview of the cover, and I think I may have even have posted the cover already on social media too, but that's all Christian Nabari. And then... The second book had two variant covers made by another artist named Matthew Sutton. And then on this book, Matthew Sutton's doing the variant. But then at the request of a a friend of mine who runs comic shops, he's like, hey, can you do a variant that's like store exclusive? So Maria wolf I don't know if you know her. um, I met her at Baltimore Comic Con this past year. She's doing uh, the store variant cover. That's
2: amazing. I love Maria Wolf's stuff.
1: Yeah, her stuff's really rad. And she's like, oh, yeah. it's a werewolf book. Yeah, I do werewolf. <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, all right.
2: Yeah, I met her in New York, and I got to look at her art up close, which was kind of a dream. Yeah, um, yeah, amazing detail and all her stuff. Oh yeah. Um, so that'll that'll be great to see. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah. Hopefully, I'll be getting that cover in the next couple weeks. I'm I'm hoping, fingers crossed. Um, and then same thing with Matthew Sutton. He said about mid february so those two other covers should be coming in sometime soon very cool so
0: um one of the things i always think about with with your books and and your kickstarters is uh you know we 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 hinted at this a little bit as the length of the book they're almost like they're almost like trades that come out um you know annually um Mm -hmm. and you you described how you know, it's, you're not beholden to page counts. You can sort of, um, you know, let the story build to what it needs to be. But are there, are there any challenges? Like, you know, you could in theory go, Hey, you know, I want this to be 300 pages. Like what, what, (laughs) how do you ever say like, all right, enough is enough. Like, um, you know, this is, this is what I got for, for, for this chapter, for this volume. How do, how do you handle that?
1: So, Well, so far anyways – I mean the biggest constraint would be the cost because I'm the writer, which is the cheapest man on the team, and then I pay everybody else out of my pocket. So if I did a 300-page book, (laughs) A, it would take quite a while for that book to come out, and I would be very, very poor by the time it does come out. Um, (laughs) At this length, like being able to still do around a book a year to a year and a half or so, um, that keeps it a little bit better, and and I've decided – because I've always – in the past anyways. I didn't want to do a kickstarter till the book was done. Yeah. I think I'm going to change that up and I'm going to do a kickstarter every year regardless of if the book is like finished finished. Um just because it helps with the production costs, especially since these books tend to keep getting longer. Like the the fourth book, I've written the script. It hasn't been edited all the way yet, so I don't know if the length's going to stay uh but if memory serves me it's 108 pages. So even longer.
0: Nice. <laughs> Do you have so, a uh, a sort of guideline or goal in your mind of, like, how much of the book you would like to have done before you go to Kickstarter? You know, like 50, 60 percent?
1: Um, I would definitely say at least 50 percent I would yeah. like. Um, it all depends on it, – it's always hard to judge how long it's going to take the team yeah. to pump out pages because they're working on other projects simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I could be like, Hey, you know, I need you to prioritize, you know, my stuff or anything like that. I never, I never do that. Um, and I know that n- usually towards the end of November and pretty much all of December is a dead zone because, uh, they pretty much they, they're off the, the books for uh, the holidays. Like they don't, mm-hmm. uh, they don't do any production stuff during the holidays. Cause that's like a really important time for them. I'm like, yeah, no, it's cool. It's whatever. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I know production slows down during those couple months too. As far as like a guideline in terms of the book length, for me it's, it's – I, I always write on an outline of these are the points that I want to happen, mm-hmm. and then I go over that with my editor, and she gives me some feedback, and then from that I start doing the actual script. And when I do it that way, sometimes the book ends up being – usually a couple pages longer than i anticipate but for so for me it's this is the story i want to tell and it's sort of like however many pages i need to to go through to get it to that point that's what we're going to do yeah um i could tell you so i when i originally wrote the books which was way back and it was a this was before i knew how to write a script or anything um they looked very very different the first book is pretty much the same as it was the, the first time I wrote it. The second book is almost nothing like <laughs> the way that I wrote it. There's a couple things that are similar, but most of that is, is different and it was beefed up and changed. The third book has aspects that are similar, but again, some things that have been changed around a bit. Um, and the fourth book is the same way. And the fifth book will probably also be the same way where it's like the story will be in the ballpark of what I originally wrote. Yeah. So – for the fourth book, um, it, it, it was just I, – and I would say for each of the books, it's like th- other than the first one, this is the story I want to write. How do I get to that point where, okay, this is a complete story. This is the arc. This is everything that's happening. Did I tell all the things I want to you know, tell? Um, and the reason I bring up those old scripts – so for the fourth script that I was working on, originally I think I had him having like six kids or something like that. And I was like, well, that's going to get real tedious to, like, go into, like, a a backstory for each and every one of these kids and, like, what they do when they grow up and all that stuff. I was like, it's just a bunch of extra pages. That's, it's Let's do three kids instead of, like, six kids. Okay. Um, that way I can still have, like, these impactful side stories of showing these kids when they're little kids and then showing them grow up. Um, but, like, Solomon's still watching over them. But since he doesn't age, he can't, like, stick around for the children. Like, Throughout the child's life, because people start to ask questions, he always has to move on or change his appearance or this and that before people start to get suspicious. So he ends up having to do that in the fourth book. And so he watches them grow up from afar, but always is sort of watching over them. So each one of them, as they grow up, goes through different – well, two of the three anyways go through like a a sort of uh, dangerous incident, and then he shows up to like help out a bit. But he like sort of like does it – in disguise. So that way they don't really know it's him, but they get like a sneaking suspicion, that yeah. sort of a thing. So that's similar between the original way I wrote it and the way I put it in the book. And I thought that was impactful. And the, the other reason I'm doing that is to set up down the road, uh, this thing where some of his kids like start up this side thing of basically monster hunting and like, Oh, we want to help out dad. So let's, let's, you know, put together this group, of like people who are trained to like hunt and kill monsters and all that stuff. And so that sort of develops throughout time. Cause again, Solomon's immortal. So he's going from, you know, book to book. And sometimes that's hundreds of years. Sometimes that's thousands of years. Um, So, yeah, so that's, that's sort of why I wanted to set that up in that book. So I needed him to have some kids. but I, I was like, ah, I don't think it needs to have so many kids. Cause I think it loses some of the point of it. If you're just kind of, going through all this stuff and again you'll just pad out the length and I think the point gets across without it being so padded as well
0: yeah I was thinking um, while you're giving that answer um, to circle back about your plans for possibly going to Kickstarter without the with the out the, the complete book done and having sort of a goal of like maybe 50 60 percent I think mm-hmm. one thing that should sort of um, put readers, or possible backers uh, at ease is the fact that you've already produced two books and you have such a presence at conventions. You know, you're showing that you're very serious about this. Yeah. So as you move to this, um, maybe this model where you're like, hey, you know, I've done these two. Now I'm sort of going to sort of ramp up the production of, of going to crowdfunding before the book is going to be done. I, hopefully that mm. was something that people would look at.
1: Yeah. And that was always, uh, so the, I had read a book, I forget exactly what it was called. I, I can't remember. It was the same guy who made, um, Code Monkey Saves the World, I believe. And he's got a ton of successful comic book Kickstarters. And he wrote a book about crowdfunding comics on Kickstarter. So that was the first thing that I read sort of got me into it. And He even says, like, your book needs to be finished. If you're a no-name, nobody knows you. You need to have a finished book so people can trust that it's done. So I've always tried to have the books as finished as they can possibly be by the time the Kickstarter launches. The first book was done, done. The second book was done, done. The third book will be drawn by the – or pretty close to almost done uh, being drawn. I think we're 75 out of 90 story pages drawn so we're very, very close. It might not be done by March first. Um, but then the coloring is behind that and then the lettering is behind that because the, yeah. you know, it's a conveyor belt. So yeah. it's yeah, the the one thing I've noticed over the years talking to people is that they are very distrustful of Kickstarters. It's like, well, you know, I've backed this Kickstarter, I've backed that Kickstarter, and then they just took the money and ran. I said, Yeah, I've had that mm-hmm. too, where I've backed a couple Kickstarters and they just flaked out. Stole the money, didn't do anything with it, and then I never got anything for it. Yeah, Um, I wanted to try and build as much trust as possible because, yeah, I've already invested quite a lot into this. Sure. To try and show people, like, hey, no, you can trust. I'm going to do it because I'm a crazy person (laughs) and I'm stubborn, so I'm going to do it one way or another. We're too far. We're we're in too deep now. It's going to happen.
0: Um, and then I have one more question. I think this is something you've mentioned to us, uh, in the past, but you sort of have a, a general, uh, plan of, of how many chapters or how many volumes of, of this story to tell, right?
1: Yep. I know what happens all the way to the last page of the last book.
0: Cool. And that's, do you, do you have an idea of, uh, Fif- volumes? 15, or are you just sort of. books this, is the plan. What, 15 again, books.
1: Sorry, 15 books. Wow. That's the plan. Um, it's, so there are three arcs. Each arc is five chapters. So yeah, a total of 15 books. And then, you know, maybe we'll do like some side stories here or there of like stuff that happens in between to like different characters, you know, down the road, maybe. Um, But for right now, the main stories, 15 books. Um, Yeah. Going from the first book starts in eight, about 8,000 BC. And then the last book takes place a little bit into the future, not like flying cars or anything like that, but just like, pretty modern day maybe another 20 20 20ish years in the future
0: nice any thoughts of uh and this is probably a little bit down the line as you continue to to build volumes but any thoughts of like uh collected editions like the first five volumes uh put together the second five volumes put together
1: yeah, so that was my plan. Um, whenever the fifth book comes out on Kickstarter, I was going to do you know you can buy the fifth one by itself, or you can buy like the big, th- the thick, tome of the first five books all stuck together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then same thing for the second five, and same thing for the the third five. And then at the at the end of it all, I was going to have you could buy if if you want this big granddaddy book. Nice, it's like all fifteen books. Uh, you know, stuck together. I have to imagine be kind of a beast <laughs> at that point.
0: <laughs> you could uh, you could fight somebody off with with a, a book that big, right? Somebody oh yeah, you could you could fight can a wield a that up. as a as a weapon.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: So with um this new Kickstarter, what are you bringing to it? Like you know, as far as lessons learned in the last one are you um, are you approaching the campaign differently at all this time around? or are you just sort of sticking with the same formula? because if it just to refresh the people who are listening and, and getting to know you for the first time, Dennis, uh, sure. your first Kickstarter was really successful. Mm-hmm. And so it makes sense why you would just sort of do the same thing again. Um, and the, not that the second one was also the second, the second one second was also really successful. Both were really successful Kickstarters. But are are you are you um, changing up how you're approaching this one at all?
1: Yes. So there there was a lesson that I kind of learned in the first one, but didn't really implement it that well in the second book, which was don't do rewards that are going to cost me more money to make them than it would be to, like, have someone back at that reward. So, for instance... I did away with a lot of that stuff from the first book to the second one cuz I just got too excited for the first one and was like, "Hey, here's a stretch goal of a hat." Yeah, those those get expensive <laughs> real fast that are just like stretch goals. They're just like, "Hey, everyone gets a hat." Um so the second book, I managed to do away with most of it. Uh most of those things where, you know, it ends up costing you money to do that. And only one item came back to bite me, and that was t-shirts. The T-shirts, I was given an estimate, and then when I actually bought the T-shirts, they ended up coming in way more than the estimate. So I ended up losing about $5, $10 for every shirt that somebody bought. So man, this time around, I was much more careful of doing like a cost value assessment. It's like, okay, let's find, you know, this, how much is it going to cost? Boom. All right. So now we're going to charge this. Okay. Here's the profit margin and that sort of thing. And the stretch goals are all, I think for the most part, like paper products or things that, you know, look really nice, but don't have like a big uh, financial investment on my end where it'll tank a whole bunch of stuff and end up losing money. Cause then you're, you're just defeating the purpose of doing the Kickstarter, which is to try and make some of the money back so I can keep paying (laughs) the art team to keep making the books. Um, so yeah, so I would say that that's the big lesson. The other other thing I learned was I have to not rely on other people quite so much. So what I mean by that is every Kickstarter, I try and do something that's more specific to me or what I could provide. So the first time I tried to do like D&D campaigns, eh, nobody cared. Second Kickstarter, I was like, okay, well, we'll do an audio version of the book. One, it's like a... Um, like a commentary track. Cool. Me and my buddy Charles can do that. We did that fine and dandy. But then I wanted to do an audio version of the book where it was sort of like voice acted and I was going to put sound effects and background noise. And, you know, I have all these friends that do podcasting and acting and all of this stuff. And they said, oh, yeah, we'll help you do it. And I'm still waiting on more than half of the audio from people. They just mm. never got around to doing it. And I'm like, yeah, I'm going to And I've tried asking around to other people, but everyone's too busy or there's just not enough time or I just don't know enough people. So that was one of those things where, okay, I need to pick items that I can either get myself or I only have to rely on one person and I know they're good for it, that sort of a thing. Um, I can tell you that there has been one big oopsie on this Kickstarter before it launched so I could fix it. At cons, I love to do networking and talk to people and, like – try and figure out, ooh, what can we do for new Kickstarter rewards for this book? And there's a few rewards that sort of happen that way, one of which, which people seem to be very excited about are the crochet werewolves. They're very adorable little cute stuffed werewolves um, that we're going to have. But one of the other items, I met this vendor at Hagerstown Comic-Con, and he makes custom Funko Pops. And I was like, okay. And he showed me his portfolio, and it looked nice. I was like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And it cost $120 to get the Funko Pop made. So I was like, okay, well, I'm going to have to charge, like, you know, more than $120 then for it to make it, you know, worthwhile. And then I got the Funko Pop in the mail this week, and I was like, nope, (laughs) not selling that. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, so that's going to be an item that I have to cut out of the, the Kickstarter stuff that I have written already and prepared. And it's just like, nope, not doing that item. I'll save that item. There's pro- I think there's one guy who's a fan who has straight up told me because I've seen him at GalaxyCon and some other places. He's like, I only collect, two like, two things, Batman stuff and your stuff. And every time I see him at a show, he buys, like, different stuff off the table. So I'll, be like, I'll bring it with me, and I'll be like, hey, if you want to buy this at cost – you could buy it, man. I'll, I'll, nice. I'll let you buy it. Very so cool. we'll see. But um, but yeah. So the, I would say those are the the main lessons that I've learned from Kickstarter, to K- and every Kickstarter teaches me different stuff. Um, I try to be as prepared as possible in terms of like I start prepping like a year out. I would say where it's starting to like, okay, what do I want to put in this one? What when do I want to do it? What's going into it? That sort. Of, and then over the months, keep on working on it. And then leading up to the Kickstarter, I do a lot of outreach. I messaged 75 podcasts last week on Thursday and Friday. And then nice. I messaged like another 30-something in January. So <laughs> sending the same-ish same message over and over and over and over. I was like, oh, man, this takes me back to my market research days, and <laughs> I do not like it. <laughs> but it's all part of the Kickstarter process. Like You have to put in a lot of work to make the Kickstarter work and the other part of doing shows and doing so many conventions is the email list. Cause I've heard that from so many people like, Hey, you need to have an email list ready. So between the last Kickstarter and this Kickstarter, I started an email list and not everybody from the Kickstarter signed up for it, but between who did sign up for it on Kickstarter and my shows, I have think close to 450 people now. So
2: that's awesome. Yeah. That's great.
1: Thank you.
2: Yeah. And uh, since we've talked last, um, you got a sculpture made by our buddy Lewis for yes. your table. I get yeah. a
1: lot of com- uh, compliments on that. And I always give you guys a shout out. And I'm like, yep. They're like, "Where? Like, did you build this? I said, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> I did not build this. And I always try and shout out Lewis uh, at every show. I'm like, hey, come. I named him Ferdinand. Cause it's punny, but not nearly as, uh, on the nose as, uh, Harry. And I'm like, come <laughs> boop Ferdinand on the nose for good luck. And it was sculpted by Lewis and I, you know, and usually he then tags me back and all this stuff. And, um, but yeah, no, it's been great. People, a lot of people like to stop and take pictures of it or boop it on the nose or touch it and all this other stuff. The only thing I'm ever leery about are children. Cause so I'm like, yeah, <laughs> your kid doesn't look like, uh, they're very gentle. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah no one no one knows that i that i'm a parent and anytime time i see a kid that looks a little uh, <laughs> looks a little uh mischievous i'm all uh-huh. grabbing that i'm grabbing our little dinosaur and moving them back a little bit so yep. yeah but you're awesome. also good about letting the kids
2: uh pick it up if you know the parents there and stuff like that too matt you're, you're you you make a lot of kids happy if they see our dino
0: yeah, I have a, I, I have a I have a discerning eye when it when it comes to which kids I can trust and which kids I can't. So. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> but you could get that little Funko uh Dennis to be uh Ferdinand's little bro for a bit <laughs> there true. on the table. <laughs> Ferdinand's a little lonely up That's on true. the table. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. so after this Kickstarter, my table's gonna end up changing quite a bit. Cause the other part of the Kickstarter is then because most of the stuff during the Kickstarter is not Kickstarter exclusive, except for the jerseys. Those I don't sell anywhere else. But I do get a lot of comments, usually from vendors, <laughs> about the jerseys. Um, but so, like, for instance, this Kickstarter is going to have 3D minis and 3D printed statues and all uh, more mini prints and other, other stuff. So the table is going to start to build up vertically a bit where I'm going to have more things to show off for people to buy. Because um, a, a lot of it also is trying to have stuff that's more generalized as opposed to specific to the book because uh, trying to make table cost. <laughs> so, like, mm-hmm. if I have it all specific to the book, it doesn't work as well, I find. Like, um, I was telling somebody today, I showed him a picture. Somebody was dressed as the one guy from American Werewolf in London where he had all the makeup. He was all clawed up and scratched apart and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, wow, you know, I write a werewolf book. He's like, yeah, I only like American Werewolf in London, thanks. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, and then I started doing paintings on the side where I do these, like, Bob Ross-style nerdy landscapes. And I first brought four of them to MAGFest, and I ended up getting quite a few people to stop. And some just bought those prints and nothing else and got a bunch of people to stop. And they're like, yeah, I don't really care about where but I like these paintings, and I'm just going through the paintings. So it's just like, all right, well, whatever I can add to the table to try and, you know, get more eyeballs works for me.
0: So I think one of the other things that's probably true for this Kickstarter is, is so let's just say you're listening to this podcast, you're intrigued by the story, there's the ability to go back and get uh, previous volumes, either print or, or digital. Is that the the case?
1: Yeah. So um, I've noticed in other Kickstarters when people have multiple books, instead of it saying like, like in Solomon's Odyssey, chapter three, it'll say like chapters one through three. I'm like, oh, okay." So I did that for this one, too. And I've always had the other books available on the Kickstarter, but I never put them in the title. Um, But, yeah, so you can buy either of the two books physically or digitally. There's actually a catch up tier where you get all three of the books and a mini print included uh, with that. Or you could buy, you know, whatever tier you want to get, and then you could just add on the other books as well. And there are digital versions too. So if you, you know, if you only want to buy digital and not physical, that's available to you as well. Um, So, yeah, so that's there. Or you could go to the website if you want to get them before the Kickstarter, uh, hiveheadstudios.com. You can check out the books there. You can actually read the first 18 pages of book one for free digitally uh, up on the website. I have like a little sample up. Um so yeah, so those are the main ways you can get up or track me down at a show, I suppose.
2: <laughs> That's great. I've you looked into like doing um uh like Comicsology or anything like that.
1: So comicsology doesn't take submissions anymore as far as I'm aware. I oh, thought really? I looked I thought I looked into it and they said they don't take submissions. You can sell your books on Amazon, which I technically have the first one up digitally. I don't like putting stuff up. on. I definitely don't want to do physical on Amazon just because I don't like their direct-to-print or whatever it is that they do. I mean, I guess technically someone could buy it physically through Amazon and then I'd ship it to them. Um, but I also know that for the digital, they charge like a a digital delivery fee. Like just an extra two dollars, like to me for like no reason. I'm like, you're hmm. just just sending in a PDF. We talking yeah. about delivery fee? So yeah, and I know if they print the books out themselves, they take, I think it's like sixty five percent, fifty five percent. I forget exactly how yeah. much, but they they take quite a big chunk. Um, so yeah, so I haven't really messed around with Amazon too too much. I looked at Barnes and Noble once and was like, nope, even worse. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Um, we have a friend who's put um, who put one of our, the anthology we were a part of last year on on Comicsology. So I don't know if it, like submissions oh, okay. are or down or anything like that. But I mm. also know it takes a lot of time to put your book on there.
1: God, and yeah,
2: you're not gonna make a like you know no. I mean, it's it's a good way of getting it out there and making it sure. available for people. But there's no guarantee that you're gonna turn a now profit or anything like that.
1: Up. I'll have to maybe look. yeah. Because yeah, because I had looked and they were like, oh yeah, Comicsology doesn't take submissions anymore i was like oh because i've had a few people recommend it and every time every time i checked it's like no nope, they don't i was like oh okay well there we go They're like oh, you just posted up on amazon it's like all right well whatever um, yeah so yeah and then we're actually in talks of um getting published in spain and then i've started researching other publishers uh around the world and like there are certain countries that are like better for indie comics like Belgium and France and Italy. So I've done some research on like, okay, well, what are some, co- you know, companies I might want to reach out to and, you know, see what they say. Cause for me, it's like, well, I w- wasn't planning on flying over there and trying to sell books person like in person. So eh, I have less of a, a reservation about publishing overseas. Uh, than over here, I guess. Yeah.
2: Is your, your artist is from, is your artist from Spain?
1: Yes. Yeah. He's in Spanish. Yeah. So that's how the yeah, publishing so that... deal sort of got started. Um, and that's a whole like days of our lives story in and of itself, this particular last couple months <laughs> with the publisher. But um but yeah, so he knows this publisher. He's done work with them before, so he's been sort of the middleman between the publisher and myself, um sending messages back and forth. So they sent me a Spanish version of the contract, but they're currently working on an english version of the contract so i'm like okay yeah. well <laughs> i'm gonna find somebody who can read spanish and english and then have that like a lawyer <laughs> and yeah. then have them look at you know both of them just to make sure everything's on the up and up yeah because i'm paranoid
0: <laughs> very cool um so uh noah do you do you have any final questions or final thoughts um as as we wrap up here
2: Um, yeah. And it's a little bit of an indulgent question, but you brought up like American Werewolf in London and I feel like, and and also the second issue leans into the gore pretty hard too. So I just wanted to know, like, how do you, uh, uh, do you take joy in the gore or do you like, uh, (laughs) is that just something that just comes with the story? But are, are you thinking about like, like the, the gory kills and things like that in the book, like while you're writing
1: it? So I'm going to ask that question, but I have to tell a quick side story because every time somebody okay. talks about the gore in the books, it makes me think of this one guy at my first show last year. Guy comes up, looks, looks, just looks at the table, hasn't picked up the book yet, and he goes, is this book violent? I said, it's a werewolf book. He goes, yeah, but is it violent? I said, it's a werewolf book. He goes, yeah, 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 but is it violent? I said, you know what? Turn to page two, <laughs> and it's like someone getting their head ripped off. He goes, <gasps> I said, it's too violent for you, buddy. Um I just think about that every time somebody asks me if it's gory, but uh, I definitely do enjoy getting kind of crazy with stuff. And like the, the second book was definitely gory. The third book, like I said, that last third gets like super chaotic. And oh yeah, there's one part that I'm really looking forward to seeing how the artist does it, where there's like a giant snake and then like this thing bursts out of the side of it. And it's like, it's got, like, a part cow and, like, part bug and, like, all this. And, like, it's, like, on, like, an umbilical cord running around. So, yeah, no, it gets, like, super crazy <laughs> and um, pretty gory. There is also a lot of death that's, like, the the more impactful deaths are not gory at all in the third book, I would say. But they're just really sad. <laughs> and my editor was just like, oh, my God, this is so... <laughs> so depressing i was like to be fair i am at a bit of a dark point (laughs) right now i'm writing these Mm -hmm. but also to be fair i wasn't when i originally wrote this exact same thing happening like a couple years ago so just so happens that maybe i'm giving it a little extra oomph you know now that i'm in a bad head place uh which is what i think that's what george lucas said happened when he made temple of doom he was going through a divorce or something so like that got real dark So maybe that's what it is. Uh, You know, I just sort of leaned into the darkness a bit. So I would say the more impactful deaths are not gory and handled much more tastefully. And then the ones that are super gory, just like bodies being ripped apart and smashed and all that stuff, that's just having fun. I would say that's just seeing what we could come up with on the page. Like uh, one of the Kickstarter rewards, the last one, the highest one, is that you get to die in the next book and I've got a buddy, Charles, who does my Patreon podcast with me, and he did the audio commentary with me. He has made it a point that he wants to die in every one of the books. <laughs> so, nice. in the second book, he's the guy next to the campfire who gets his head ripped off. Uh, he's like just like hanging out in the middle of the, the desert, just, you know, sitting about a campfire, and the werewolf sneaks up behind him and, you know, rips his head off. That's my buddy, Charles. So, with this one, you know, Sal had done some of the pages and we've already done a few of the deaths. There's one more left to go, Charles actually. And so, you know, he drew the death pages and I said, yeah, no, they died, but I really want to step up (laughs) the gore for these people. You know, they paid top dollar to die in this book and I really want to, you know, give them a good send off. So um, he's like, all right, yeah, okay, sure. And so then, then he gets a little crazier and I'm like, yeah, let's do that. (laughs) Nice. With the second book, it was funny because when we were doing the the coloring, I remember having to tell the colorist a couple of times, especially during the ghoul part. I was like, no, 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 no. Make it gorier, like more blood, more blood, more gore, more guts, that sort of thing. And like he kept sending back like very small iterations. Like, no, 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 no. More. <laughs> Go <laughs> more. Like Quentin Tarantino. More. He's just like, okay. And so eventually I was like, all right, I'm gonna stop asking, but like I feel like it's a pretty good spot.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. Perfect answer.
0: Thank you. Yeah, no problem. Very cool. So you had mentioned earlier the uh the the website. Um that's uh can can you give that again?
1: Sure. Hiveheadstudios.com. So that's like a beehive. Mm-hmm. Um, That one is where you can find, if I ever update it, my show schedule because I try and put all the conventions that I go to. Sometimes I forget because I have too damn many of them. Uh, And then I have the books up on there as well. And uh, from time to time, I'll post like blog updates and stuff like that too. Um, But right now, actually, if you go to that website, there's a link immediately on the front that will redirect you to the Kickstarter page. And there's also a little pop-up that sometimes comes up. That's a sign up for the email list. So that's another way you can get the email sign up, uh, which is like a newsletter that I put out about every week or so. I'm better at it when I have conventions going on because then it gives me more stuff to tell. Obviously, in February, I'm going to be doing a lot more just Kickstarter talk. um, But that gives a lot of behind-the-scenes talk and pictures from shows and, like, stories of, uh, you know, making of with the book. And then I usually give them – some early access to pages like before they've been colored or like they just got drawn stuff like that. Or maybe even I show the iterations, like, Hey, this is the sketch. And then this is, you know, it drawn, and then this is it colored just to show, you know, the process of how everything goes. And then of course I have pictures of my dog. And most of the time people sign up just for the dog pictures. Nice.
0: And you have a, you have a couple of social media um, presences, right? Um, Instagram. It's, mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mostly operate on Instagram. I would say, uh, since they disconnected Twitter from everything else, I don't really pay it too much attention anymore. Obviously, when the Kickstarter launches, I'll be I'll be popping back on it to post an ad every day. But uh, most of the time, I'm on Instagram, uh, and you can find me on my personal page at World's Most Okayest DM, or you can find me also at Hivehead Studios. I also uh, I pretty most of the things I post are on both of them simultaneously. So.
0: Very cool. Well, we're going mm-hmm. to have to the both the web pages, um, the the both the IGs, but you know, we want to encourage everybody, um, to to sign up for that, uh, you know, the the follow that podcast so that I'm sorry, follow the not podcast. What am I talking about? Follow the Kickstarter <laughs> so that when it launches on, on March 1st, uh, March 1st, correct? Yep. Yeah, so that you get notified uh, right away. So we'll we'll have links to all of that stuff in the uh, in the show notes.
1: Can I tell you guys a little aside that? uh, And you could tell me if I if I'm being ridiculous.
0: No, go for it.
1: So the Kickstarter launches on March first, and it ends on March thirty first, which is my birthday, and I'm definitely going to use that (laughs) and say, "Hey, you know, it's my birthday. You should sign up for this Kickstarter." I'm like, eh, maybe it's, maybe it's over the top. I don't know.
0: No, I think that's a, I think that's a good, uh, I think that's a good, um, extra bit of, uh, uh, let's see. How do we want to phrase this? A little bit of, uh, extra marketing. Uh,
1: that you marketing, go. Make that money, man. Yeah. <laughs> yep. However you got to do it. You yeah.
0: Know? Yeah. Very cool. Awesome. Well, Dennis, it's glad, I'm glad that we were able to, to catch up. Um, hopefully we will see you on the, on the con circuit here, uh, yeah and soon um but i'm really excited uh for the for the next volume of this book um want to just encourage everybody to check it out um and and back the kickstarter
1: thank you so much uh matt it, it's always great coming on the show um you guys are great it was great meeting you the first time and then i always get excited anytime i happen to be at a show and figure out that either one of you two <laughs> happen to be there too um always yeah. great seeing you and talking to you um and I got to meet Noah's dog last year, which was also great. So.
0: Awesome. Awesome. All right. So, uh, like I said, uh, links to all Dennis's stuff will be in the show notes. If you want to follow us, we are on Twitter or X at construct compod. Instagram is constructing comics pod and Facebook is constructing comics. Just want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, please be safe, be nice to each other and go out there and make some comics. Thank you.